Welcome to Cast of Creators. We're your hosts. I'm Nelson Thal. And I'm Casey Stewart. We spend our careers in media and publishing, and now we're setting the stage for creative people who inspire us to share their stories. Our guest today is film director and producer Alan Unger. His latest movie, Bandit, comes out September 23rd and stars Josh Duhamel, Alicia Cuthbert, and Mel Gibson. We talked about Alan's career as a filmmaker, behind the scenes of Making Bandit, and his latest film with Nicolas Cage. Let's go. Alan, welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's wonderful to have you here. We'll and see about that after. You, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, uh, you know, we, were, we were fortunate enough to watch a, an advanced screening of Bandit, um, your film, and it was uh, fantastic. We both loved it. I mean, yes, Case I watched me over it weekend. this weekend. Who paid you to say that? Nobody. No, no, it was good. I even you mean took how some... much did they pay? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I took some notes. I have a couple of uh, favorite scenes. Yeah, I think it was good. Oh, awesome. And I it comes out it. September 23rd. Yeah. Awesome. It's very exciting. What uh, was your initial, like, what made you choose this movie? Did you read the book? And how did it all sort of so get started? So I hadn't read the book. Uh, so so just to go back, so Craig Wenman, who's the writer, mm-hmm. um, he he had sort of heard these rumors, like urban legend about this unstoppable bank robber when he was growing up in the 80s in Ottawa. Okay. And so he then becomes a successful writer, and he's like, you know, I, I want to go back and figure this out. So he finds out that the book got published in 96. He finds out it was a real story, in fact, and he contacts the publisher he gets access to Robert Knuckle, who uh, was the author who passed away a couple of years ago. Okay. And he introduces him to the real Gilbert Galvan. Because naturally, because he's such a friendly Canadian bank robber, he stayed in touch with the author who profiled him as well as the detective. <laughs> yes, okay, because I him. wondered about That's this. Yeah. I did a little bit of research and I was like, okay, like he's still around. He's not in jail anymore. Anymore, yeah. 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 So he kept in touch with him. Okay. So, yeah. So he, he, everybody had access to this guy. And I think that's what he wanted, right? Like everybody, he did it for the fame, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, so Craig got a hold of the life rights uh, to Gilbert, the book rights. He wrote it on spec completely. So he wasn't hired to do it. He kind of just went on his own, developed it. Uh, and then my agent, who um, was at the same agency, sent me the script. And I read it and I loved it because mm-hmm. I was like, you know, it's a compelling story, great characters. Some of it's like, Stranger than fiction moments, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. Canadian was the biggest hook for me. And so, as someone who grew up in Canada, lives in Canada, has been making movies in Canada, it's really frustrating that people always come here and it's like, oh, we're going to make it set in New York, but we're going to double it here. And right. or it's Atlanta, like all these cities. No one ever does Canada for Canada. Yeah. So, I was really stoked about that. So, of course, we went and made it in Georgia. Uh, yeah. But, um, that- <laughs> but um, yeah, so I read it, I loved it. Uh, Craig and I sat down. We developed it for a couple of years. We set it up with a producer in Montreal, uh, Gold Rush Entertainment, who pretty much shepherded the whole thing from start to finish. Wow. Um, Harold Greenberg Fund uh, supported sort of the script development. And we spent, you know, I'd say two or three years before we got Josh on board. And then it kind of kickstarted things as the pandemic started. Yeah. Right. What was right that like? Because you had planned to shoot in Toronto and Vancouver. Yeah. And that yeah, didn't happen. No bueno. Um, yeah. Well, so we. We had sort of set this up for a while knowing that it was really important to shoot on location here with the support of like telefilm and the, 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 the sort of typical subsidies that you yep. get from Ontario, the federal level, the provincial level. Um, and then COVID hits. And so Josh signs on. 
We're not sure when we're going to do it. We're not even sure where we're going to do it. We're sort of at a standstill at this point. And this is right at, I'd say this is like April 2020. Oh. So. Oh, wow. Josh goes off to do the Jennifer Lopez movie, Shotgun Wedding. He's got a couple other things. Uh, I think he's finishing Jupiter's Legacy at this point. Yeah. So he's actually in Toronto finishing Jupiter's Legacy. And uh, I get a call that because of the new mandates, uh, any actor flying in has to quarantine for 14 days in a hotel. So if you're Mel Gibson and you're working five days, let's say, or a week, um, you're basically going to sit in quarantine more than the time you're actually working. Right, right. Which isn't a great wow. sell no. for anybody who wants to work in general. No. So that was a big problem. And then uh, telefilm and everything that was going on here at home, nobody was supporting the movie. Just nobody wanted to help us. And we were like, this is a Canadian story. It's like it's got all the ingredients. Alicia Cuthbert's Canadian. I'm Canadian. The writer's Canadian. The producer's Canadian. Everybody's Canadian except for Josh at this point. Yeah. So we're like, you know what? No. And it just financially, we the producer said we couldn't do it here. It wasn't going to work. We needed a certain amount of money to make the film the right way. We'd be in Vancouver. We'd be in Toronto. We'd yeah. be in Ottawa. Um, so they said, you know, Georgia has a much better tax credit than Canada, which is really sad to hear, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we picked up and we left and we went to Georgia. And then, you know, fortunately we came back in September and we did a few days in Ottawa. Uh, but most of it was literally Georgia, which gave me like heart palpitations because I'm like, okay, great. Finally, I've got this like Canadian movie. My patriotism is like an all time high. Right. We're going to leave now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And lured down there. Yeah. You know, I thought it's crazy. I thought we were going to be shooting in Atlanta because I said to myself, you know, I could have Atlanta double for Vancouver. I can make that work. The architecture, the busy sidewalks, the street corners, like that's not hard. Mm -hmm. Then I get there and I'm like, oh, wait, I'm not going to Atlanta. I'm going to the south of Georgia, like right. border of Florida, Georgia, towns I've never heard of Georgia. Oh, wow. And that's where I have to figure out a way to double 1986 to 1988 Canada. And so, yeah. yeah. It's, it's strange to imagine something that's so up the middle Canadian yeah. set in those cities. Yeah. Not being able to utilize those cities. Yeah. But in a way, those cities have changed so much yeah. since then anyway. It's another curveball. It's ball. another bit of a tricky <laughs> thing yeah. to scrub out modern Vancouver from Vancouver. It, yeah. And, and then couple that with the fact that pretty much most of the people on the crew side um, – in the departments, had never even been to Canada. Oh. So I'm like trying, Craig and I are basically going either off memory or Google Maps or Dropbox, like references that we created to show them this is what the currency looked like. This is what the health cards looked like. These are what the street corners looked like. This is where the real uh, Robert Whiteman would frequent. This is where the real Tommy K had his strip club. You know, like these are the neighborhoods. It was, it, listen, but it was great though because it was a great exercise in prep. Yeah. So it was a good way to sort of build on that skill. But are these banks like CIBCs and Scotia oh, yeah. banks? Like they're all like, yeah, you know, Dominion, Canadian banks. Scotia banks. Yeah, so we obviously you know. couldn't get the rights of the banks because it's sort of like a defamatory nature in which you're displaying yeah, them, right? Right. So Robin we had to them. basically use like color patterns that would signify, hey, yeah, this actually I, says gold crown, but it's really CIBC. CIBC yeah. That's what I figured. Yeah. Like the maroon and gold. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So they so he would have I mean it's strange to think in Canada, you're not dealing with independent 
bank owners. Like they're not. There's no private banking. So yeah. it's like he's hitting a string of TDs. He's yeah. hitting a string of <laughs> yeah. like CIBCs. Literally. literally. Yeah. They just don't communicate as much because it's no. like the 80s and there's no digital backups. There's none of that. Yeah, no paper trucks. One of the things is like he robbed the same bank like multiple times. Yes. He did that a few times in <laughs> real like, life. This yeah. guy, yeah. just, you know, wilding. I thought that was just, you know, crazy. Well, yeah, when you don't have the security footage. Yeah. Or... And you're swapping disguises. I mean, the joke is now with COVID, with the masks, if you had COVID then. Everyone looks like a bank Everybody looks like a bank robber. That was one of the things I really enjoyed um, about the movie was all the costume changes and all of his, um, you know, just all the different costumes, the prosthetics, the changing clothes. And that was one, one I made a note of my favorite scene was when it was like kind of like quick cuts of all the fast um, bank robberies and the counter is going up and then he does the tearaway of a yeah. pants and a, yeah. you know, like and you I was here, like, <laughs> well, I'm always changing clothes when we're doing Would not work and, today with DNA and forensics. No, so, like, yeah, definitely you know, I, that's what I was like. I was like, only in the 80s would this work. You know, yeah. you couldn't get away with anything like that now. No, no way. Not even no. close. <laughs> and there was um, 200 scenes 95 locations yeah about yeah that's about right yeah, yeah it was that's it was like wild absurd. the logistics around that movie must yeah be and crazy. not doing it at home in your backyard where you have like a network of people that you can rely on do favors it was it was very overwhelming because we basically got to georgia and we had five weeks to figure out what to do and i've never been to georgia right and right. let alone these cities again that i've never heard of that i just discovered one was a college town called valdosta great place great food great people doesn't look like canada so i'm basically going with my cinematographer and craig and other people and we're literally going to street corners and being like this corner looks canadian or this building has architecture right. that looks similar to ottawa or to vancouver or to wherever edmonton wherever it was that we were going to shoot yeah. the scene so it was a lot of that and just like trying to figure out how we were going to make it work. So before you go down there and actually start filming, you've got to secure all of these locations. Yeah. Well, that's what you'd and think. We didn't secure yeah, anything yeah. because when I got there, you we didn't like, have the infrastructure that I thought because the movie was like getting put together so fast when we kind of got the thumbs up, the green light was going to happen. Um, the people that were helping us on the crew side had just – I think they were just finishing another movie. So – we had to go out a lot of the times on our own without like location scouts and just find stuff on our own. And then we had a location manager come in who uh, just finished WandaVision. Wow. So he was, he was kind of getting ready to go and uh, he came in he saw my wall in my office of all the locations. And he was like, Oh my God, this is a joke, right? How are we going to do this in <laughs> right. 21 days? I said, I don't know, man, but we're going to try. Yeah. <laughs> so you sort of embark with basically a calendar, a spreadsheet. Like, yeah. what do you, you start with? You've got everything in a spreadsheet. You must have all this whole thing in yeah, a spreadsheet. I'm bad at Excel, and a calendar. so I don't like, have do spreadsheets, you, do but I have the organized? closest thing to a spreadsheet. Um, yeah, I, I basically just have my lists of things that we need to get. Um, I had a wall in my office, which was okay, the Glebe house in the movie, and here are the three options in Georgia of the locations with the addresses of, of, of the house, the corresponding house that would work. Or opening bank, I'd have four locations, and I'd say, okay, now we got to create a grid, like a map. Because mm-hmm. when you're filming, when you do these unit moves, it's very expensive and timely. Pack <laughs> up, here and, and then, then, then leapfrog. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and leapfrogging is where a lot of your time gets and transportation costs get sucked up. So we were trying to figure out how are we going to do this. And it got to a point where um, we were in this other town called Tifton. 
Uh, and I had a golf, they gave me a golf cart and literally what would happen was we would split up into three units because there was just no time to get everything. So we'd have one unit shooting a scene with like Nestor Carbonell, for instance, and Nestor is a big TV director now too, not just a great actor. And so I would kind of leave some of it to him and I'd come back and forth with my portable monitor to check on him. Yeah. Then I would drive across wow. town like three, four blocks because, you know, I can't be running with all this stuff on no. me. To another set where we've got a crane set up getting a shot of like some background people. And then I'd go uh, on foot to where Josh is in the costume shop with the girl behind the Mm -hmm. counter. And literally some of our days function exactly like that. Me running and they'd say action. And as soon as it's a cut, they're like, okay, Alan's on the move to you guys. And I'd run back to the other set. It was bonkers. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. And and, and all of like – I mean, you're involved, right, with the editing. You're involved in every nuance of the yeah. thing. You're, like, living and breathing. Yeah. And the, every word they're speaking. For better or for worse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, um, it's you know, you, you actually can't be too much of a control freak if, you're ha- if you have different sets operating yeah. at the same time. You, you I, know, find you're, yeah. I find a way. I find a way. I'm like, when you're, do you, um, <laughs> like, so you're running around, you've got multiple locations, leapfrogging in your golf cart. Does things, does it really like stick to the script or something's kind of Um, wing it like i would say a lot of it again i'm because i know you're pressed for time yeah well you're pressed for time which is why prep is so important and the thing that some people say about prep is like you can't stick to the script or to an ideal too much because you have to be open to change and to adapting something happens on the day it rains now you can't shoot outside you gotta do this Mm -hmm. so i try to stay as flexible as possible but the bare minimum is i say to myself okay what is the crux of the scene? What do I need to accomplish in this day? How many things are absolutely necessary and how much can I throw to the side? Because I would say there's probably 35 minutes of deleted scenes from the actual movie. And then there was an additional 15 or 20 pages that we never even shot from the oh, original wow. script. Because wow. this book, right, spans the life of, of Gilbert Galvan. I mean, yeah. it could have been a miniseries, essentially. Right. So when you go into a day like that, you basically just have to say to yourself, okay, it's going to be all right if something changes, but if there is something that is absolutely integral to the narrative or to the character, you got to make sure that that hits that. And thankfully with these sort of multiple little mini units we were running, uh, people knew how important certain moments were to me, or I'd get on walkie talk and be like, did you do that thing that I asked you? You did it, right? You did exactly like that. They're like, yes, we did exactly like that. <laughs> yeah. like, all right, cool. You're like, okay, we can move on. Yeah, I can, yeah. I can breathe now. Yeah. Cool. So when you cast uh, a role, how far do you expect that actor to deviate from like their the normal essence of them? Are you trying to like are you ca- you sort of in the sense that what's more important casting or trying to push them in in into a direction of acting and being like how you want them to be? How do you balance like that? A character? Yeah. Look, 80%, some people say 90, 80% of directing is casting. Mm-hmm. And so you have to acknowledge and accept that when you hire someone, or rather they say yes to your offer, you are trusting them implicitly to take the character into the direction that they feel it's going to go. You have to be there to rein them in if they deviate too much. But if you're going to try to tell them to stick to every single word and every single beat, you're not you're not going through the process right. because. Right. You know, Josh said to me once, he's like, it's my job to look at the words on the page, find out where they have meaning and find out where there's something that doesn't add up. And then Mm -hmm. I have to call you out and say, listen, I don't think this works. How are we going to 
problem mm-hmm. solve and how are we going to make this scene make sense or how's this arc going to make sense? Right. So, you know, luckily I was very blessed with the cast that I got um, and Josh really took the character and he made it into his own. You know, he obviously had uh, source material to work off of. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's no shortage of it. But he decided that he would take it in a direction that had a little bit more levity mm-hmm. than I had already sort of figured I would inject into the film. And when you say source great. material, you mean like video of the original guy? And the, video, book. The, yeah, book. the book. Yeah, the book. There's clips. Um, there's little mini docs on YouTube. You can find interviews. There's there's old newspaper stuff that you know that got updated and digitized and with other interviews. So there's enough to sort of understand the cadence and the character. Yeah, it wasn't like a brand new character that ever existed. This is because it's based on a true story. There right. was all kinds of factual information. He could be like, oh, okay, yeah. I know this you're, you're guy. You're not going to like hop on set and like backseat drive Mel Gibson. You yeah. know what I mean? You like it's you like, well, what was would, that like? You know what I mean? Yeah. Working with so, Mel Gibson. It's great. It's legend. Honestly, yeah. he, he has this uncanny resemblance to the real Tommy Kay, who was a guy. Oh, named, he does, eh? who was a guy named Tommy Craig, who uh, who strip club the playmate was actually in the Vanier part of Ottawa. Okay, and so the real Tommy, it's it's crazy. The only difference is that he was a much heavier set guy, so his nickname was the Fat Man. Okay, which is hilarious because Mel did a movie called The Fat Man a couple yeah. of times <laughs> where he plays Santa Claus. Um, so yeah, so. Um, Mel, first and foremost, was a creative choice. I mean, it just, he looked like Tommy. He was Tommy. As soon, and even look, when we were sort of doing the, the revisions on the script during the development phase, um, we'd always talked about Mel, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I, I, it's like a bucket list thing for me. I grew up watching Lethal Weapon. I grew yeah. up yeah. watching all his stuff. Yeah, I, I'm too. a huge Mel fan. So, yeah, he was incredible. He was great. And he's great in the film. Yeah, he is great. Hey, he sinks into that role perfectly. He really does. <laughs> I'm surprised he hasn't done more sort of yeah, it's, that side of him. Is that dark side of him is well, great. Well, it's funny you say dark side, but well, what what we what we really yes, set out to right. it's not what super we set out dark. to do was subvert that expectation mm-hmm. and sort of flip the trope on its head because you're going to see a trailer and a poster with Mel and oh, bank robberies, heist. He punches a guy in the trailer. Oh, he's probably going to end up on the wrong side of Mel, Josh. Right? He's going to mm-hmm. end up on the wrong side. Right. All these sort of like typical cliches, yeah. right? And what we wanted to do was say, look, he comes off, you know, surface value is like this tough gangster, but he's really like a teddy bear. He's kind of yeah. like a friendly uncle mm-hmm. and yeah. a mentor. And that's and that's kind of the direction we took it in because that's actually what happened, right? Yeah, yeah. But also, um, I wanted that to be sort of like a fuck you to the people who were going to turn it on and think it was like a geezer teaser Bruce Willis movie or whatever. Because, yes. <laughs> you know, Mel's done a couple of those now. And, I, you know, so I was sort of like, I can't wait for you guys to see this. And it's the complete, there's no guns, there's no shooting, there's no dead people, there's no explosions. Right. I liked you know? that it wasn't violent. Yeah. And, there was and, an explosion outside the jewelry store. Well, I don't know. But it was a small, Can you call small that an explosion? <laughs> Firecrackers? Okay, a firecracker. Firecracker. <laughs> Diversion. Yeah, okay. But, <laughs> my wife doesn't like violent movies yeah and um it was totally something i comfortable i was comfortable showing her because right. it wasn't like this violent goring like torture scene yeah, my grandma thing too, out, of, so yeah. out of the mob <laughs> yeah Shout out to my her. nine-year-old grandmother would feel the same way which yeah. i liked and alicia was great in it yes alicia's incredible in this film um you know it's funny she was always my first choice for andrea and uh unbeknownst to me uh she had actually read the script before we had officially gone to her because what happened was uh josh and her share a manager Oh wow! So That's he he had slipped, he had slipped the script to her, and COVID hits, which makes sense that she would get that yeah. script. COVID hits, nobody has any clue what's happening with the movie. 
Are we making it? Are we not? Mm -hmm. When are we making it? Where are we making it? And this whole time, I think they were waiting for us to officially go and bring it to Alicia, which is something the producer does. If it was me, I probably would have just been like DMing her on Instagram be like, I want you to do this movie, which you you cannot do. Um, So uh, when I got a call from a 647 number, I picked it up and it was her. You know, we kind of just hit it off right away as Canadians, you know what I mean? Um, and, And her saying how much it spoke to her. Never really having had a chance to play like a Canadian character like this before and bringing this sort of maturity and depth to the role in a way that we haven't really seen from her before, sort of like amalgamating her comedy and her dramatic chops. It was amazing. Yeah, and the thing was they ended up really in a committed – like they were committed to each other. Yeah. You know, which is – you know, you'd think the guy would go to jail and there wouldn't be a lot of commitment there. Run off. But yeah, they ended up in a a, – it seems like – did they stay together the whole time it was in jail or what What happened? Uh, no, there's a Chiron at the end of the film. Yeah, at the end. Spoiler for anyone who's oh. yeah, watched oh, the movie. But alert. Yeah, um, no, no. They, they got divorced very shortly after, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately. Well, it's tough to make it through. They have that. such great chemistry in the film, you want them to stay together. Yeah, you do want them to stay it's together. Like, I pictured them together. So. <laughs> Listen, this means that uh, the relationship spoke to you. It yeah, no, it, worked, it did. Right? It did. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and – so he goes through, he does this 59 uh, successful heists. And it seems like the last one, like the big cog, the big problem he had on the one job was because Mel decides to have this guy stick around with him. Yeah. And, that, and that's true? That, yeah. That's so right. the, what, what actually happened was um, when he started getting into jewelry, right? So the whole thing was everything changed, A, when he went from banks to jewelry stores and would have an extra man. Right. Mm-hmm. And we all know we've seen every movie stereotype. <laughs> it's never a good idea to have an extra person who no. could be a witness or flip on you or screw something up. So this guy, Baptiste, was his real name. He apparently he had like the worst, you know, like crop tops and jean shorts and a nasty coke addiction, the coke addiction, which is in the movie. Um, but uh, yeah, he literally left a shotgun uh, at the scene <laughs> of the crime. Like, and that's one of those moments where it's so absurd that it has to be real, which is why we tell everyone this actually happened. It's not like we forgot as the filmmakers to tidy up that storyline. Like he legitimately left the, so what it was, it was in a stairwell. So the, the bank was, sorry, the jewelry store was in this, um, this big mall in Vancouver. And, you know, when you go out through the main entrance, there's other storefronts and then there's the, the fire escapes and the stairwells. So they went out and there was a police convention happening. (laughs) <laughs> and they actually ran into a bunch of cops who didn't know that they had just robbed a jewelry store, which we wanted to put in the movie, but that was way too expensive. We need like hundred extras and like yeah, yeah. it would have okay. been crazy. So they ended up going into this stairwell and he he dropped the shotgun in the stairwell and that's how they traced it back to, to Tommy and eventually caught Robert. Yeah. Oh, gosh, man. if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. It's true. <laughs> yeah, you really do. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, I live that. Far too often. <laughs> you probably do too. That's, that's, that's yeah, that's 100% yeah. true. So, growing up, were you always into cameras? Like, when did you start to. Yeah, I mean, as far back as I can remember, uh, movies were my jam. Yeah. You know, my, uh, my mother, funny enough, was in the business from a different side. She, um, she had this store, which was owned by Kodak. And so, back when they did like 24 hour photo processing mm-hmm. before digital was a thing, um, she did a lot of the development for, uh, 
TV shows and movies that were doing like location scouting. In, so they in Canada, use, yeah, here in Toronto. So here in Toronto. you cool. went and you took photos of a, like this building. You'd go to her lab, she'd process it, give it to the location scout, and then my father, who was in the telecommunications business, um, was supplying walkie-talkies to a lot of sets as well. So they actually paired up uh, with a separate business at the time that would supply anything from walkie-talkies to the crew uh, or cell phones for the actors oh, before, cool. like you know, roaming and before all these plans existed. Yeah. And the funniest thing is that uh, it was 2004, and I was about to go to film school for the very first time in in Los Angeles, and um, I didn't have a phone yet because at that time, you know, kids our age didn't really have cell right. phones; it wasn't a thing. Um, so my mom gets me a phone. It's the original BlackBerry, like the bi- the blue, yeah. like yeah. the big yeah. brick, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> with the wheel on the side. Yep, yep, and um, the highest resolution. Yeah. Uh, and so I go to Los Angeles. Uh, and right before I leave, my mom says, hey, listen, um, there's only so many uh, phone lines that you have when you have, like, a, a business account with Rogers, right? Right. Yeah. And so Ray Romano and Gene Hackman were in town shooting Welcome to Mooseport, okay? And Ray Romano uh, needed another line. He needed another number. And my mom didn't have any. So she comes to me and she says, listen, I know you just memorized your phone number. I know you just gave it to all your friends. Um, I need that back. And I'm going to give you a different SIM card and a different phone. I was like, why? She's yeah. like, Ray Romano needs it. I was like, fuck Ray Romano. I just gave this to all my friends. And so I meet this girl at film school, and she asked me for my number. And I start reciting it, and I went, oh, nope, wrong number. It's uh, – and I can't remember it. Uh-huh. And I go, you know what? It's in my uh, it's in my room. I'll go get it. She's like, okay. really? I was like, no, no, listen, listen, listen. Ray Romano has my phone. She's like, oh, yeah. this is the best you can come up with? Okay, see you later. I was like, no, I'm not. Yeah. So oh um, I was always fascinated oh, by movies. And that but, story yeah. didn't end up with her calling Ray Romano. No, it didn't. But uh, a couple yeah. people did, and my mom was very unhappy about it. I bet. One of them might have been me. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I grew up watching movies. My dad had all the VH ta- uh, VHS tapes of, like, the Bond films and the early, like, Michael Bay stuff, like Bad Boys and The Rock. So I used to just sort of skip yeah, I, school and watch movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I watched The Rock young. Too. Yeah, that one. That I watched was, everything. Yeah, that one was really um, impressionable on me. That was a great movie. Yeah, it's, that's like my favorite. Movie. Yeah, that's like one of <laughs> my favorite <laughs> movies too. Yeah, the nineties era action movies and some yeah. of the more oh, seminal yeah. stuff. That and came Sean Connery, like to me, that was Sean Connery. Oh, that was. Sean and then Connery. I watched yeah. all the Bonds after that. And so you like, wonder to, if there's a tie-in. There's me, still articles. Was, People think that that was like a subtle nod to. This is where Bond is like 30 years later. Oh, really? After, like he retires. There's all these like conspiracy theory oh, articles wow. like BuzzFeed and like you should go check it out. It's awesome. So that was the first time you saw Nicolas Cage in a movie? The first it was, time, it was my first time. Uh, the, Rock, the first sure. time I saw Nick Cage in a movie, it might have been The Rock because The Rock came before Con Air and Face Off. Face Off and Con Air I watched religiously as a kid <laughs> yeah. too. Um, I snuck into a theater to watch some of Face Off. But um, yeah, it might have been. might have been the first time. He was fantastic in that. Oh, Stanley Goodspeed. Yeah. Beatles fanatic. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and I remember, you know, it was the first, I'd say, blockbuster sort of like I saw with, with and Hans Zimmer did the score. And I had that score. Um, and my dad played that score on the way to uh, school, like all the time. Nothing like firing up for school listening yeah. to Hans Zimmer, right? And to hockey. Like in, in the morning to hockey, we used to listen. Yeah. yeah. so funny. Yeah, my dad played a lot of movie scores as well. And uh, and uh, like I always love movie scores, though. I mean, and what's really cool is my uh, my Netflix film, Gridlocked, the, the guy who composed the score for that, Jacob Shea, 
actually works with Hans. And oh, so when wow. I was wow. sitting in post for that film, I was actually at Hans' studio. Oh, Where wow. he kind of fosters new talent, and they all get their own sort of booth and their own, like, office in, like, this big campus. In, in L.A.? Yeah. Is yeah, that the Santa one with Monica. his massive synthesizers uh, in yeah, his so main he, room? So it's, it's, called, yeah, it's, called, it's called Remote Control. <laughs> yeah, and there's this building in Santa Monica where you have, basically, the students. Mm-hmm. And then in the center of the complex outside, you go across, and there's this little building, which is basically Hans's wow. shrine. Yeah, that's um, phenomenal. So, yeah, I'm a huge Hans fan. I saw him yeah. in concert here. I, I don't know if you if you know, he was here a few years ago. Uh, I think it was like 2017, and he played live. I, I didn't see live, but I've seen the, um, one of his more recent shows. I've seen he put it on DVD. It's like on DVD. or Like a master class? And not the ma- I, I have that too. Um, but um, no, the one where he does a live show with a bunch of his different oh, uh, cool. movies in it, yeah. which was cool. And they all perform it live, and he performs a lot of it live. But he's um, amazing. You know, it, one thing about Hans Zimmer, and it actually is a thread that goes through probably your work and a lot of everything that we do, is even though he has all the, the money and the capabilities and the tools and the instruments and the whole thing, he really knows how to boil it down to the fundamental yeah. emotion of any role, any any piece of music, right. any track. Well, that's the thing and, about music. It needs to complement what's happening on screen. It has to um, evoke a certain emotion from a character standpoint, like – Good composers, great composers, and they're great for a reason. They understand that better than anybody. Did you get his master class? I did, did not. You, okay. I did not. I've seen the clips like or the ads running on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm like, no, I don't want the master class. I'm going to wait till I work with him. Yeah. yeah. That's perfect. My way of not spending $80 or whatever it is. <laughs> did you pl- do you play an instrument? So when I grew up, I played violin. This oh, is actually wow. crazy. Hard so, one. Um, I played violin for seven years. Wow. And I actually played at Carnegie Hall. Wow. Which is a random story not a lot of people You're know. a violin player. No, well, don't say well, that because if you, you gave could... me a violin right now, it would be embarrassing. Oh, it would be I less embarrassing I could, I than if I picked I could, it up. Or also possible. me. Also me. That's I'm, possible. I it's hard to make any decent sound on a violin, let alone yeah. actually play the damn thing. I played my, – my parents were very strict about me having sort of musical capabilities. And I think there's yeah. a lot of parents that think it's important for kids to sort of yeah. be cultured in a certain yeah. way and understand music. Music is such an important way of life. Whether it's to de-stress, whether it's to go enjoy in a communal sense at a concert, agree. Um, music's so powerful. And so, yeah, I played at Carnegie Hall with like I think fifty other kids as part of wow. this um, the Suzuki group. It was called. It was like 1996. I was there as a kid. And, cool. Uh, it was uh, yeah. So I love music. David Suzuki. No, the connection no it's just called the Suzuki group. It's not oh. David. I My whole life I thought it was David Suzuki. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And then, well, what's and my the mom Suzuki is like, connection? Why the, the car? This, like philanthropist, environmentalist <laughs> guy is like your violin teacher. And I was like, no, I, was, I just thought it was his group. I don't know. Something on the side. But yeah, but yeah and I played piano for a couple of years as well after that. Oh, nice. But, Those are uh, two of the hardest they're very difficult. I am not musical anymore other than my instincts mm-hmm. Like when it comes to the sort of like the creative. I understand music very well. Like I speak the language of music, yeah. but I cannot play worth shit. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't. And then did someone get you into mixed martial arts? Oh, man. Um, yeah, it's funny because uh, I was out in Los Angeles like 19, 20 years old. And I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to make it in the business yeah. or, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to go get a master's? Am I going to go to post-grad? And um, I met some people in Los Angeles who happen to be from London, Ontario and Toronto. And they said, you know, we're putting together like a film fund. We're going to make some independent films. Do you have any ideas? And I pitched them ideas and they said, okay, we'll think about it. And then they came back and said, look, we have an idea for a mixed martial arts movie. Um, 
and you can write it. And I said, mixed uh, martial arts is not really my thing, and I don't want to just be a writer. But if you let me direct it, I'll pretty much do it for free, which was a very stupid thing of me to say because they pretty much took me up on it. <laughs> thankfully, I was living at home. So um, I had to do a lot of research um, for the film Tapped, yeah, um, which I, I ended up making. And um, I am a huge MMA fan now. I, yeah. I don't miss any events. Um, yeah, and, and everybody on that movie ended up, they couldn't care less anymore. They don't watch it. Like, it's no interest to them. But I'm, what, I'm what year was that movie? Uh, so we shot that in 2012. Okay, so that's when still Anderson after Silva was Ultimate still... Fighter. Ultimate Fighter started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the Contender Series, I think, started shortly after that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Anderson Silva was still the middleweight champion. Uh, George St. Pierre was still the welterweight champion. Yeah, nice. It was a different era. Oh, classic. yeah, that um, was a time. Yeah, that was a time. Well, not super classic, sort of mid-range classic guys. Yeah, like it wasn't the Gracie days. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly. The, 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 the next generation after that. Yeah, but I, are you an MMA fan? Yeah, my uncle got us into MMA Okay. Young. During Gracie years. Okay. So like and the underground uh, UFC one days where it's like one guy who just has to fight his way up like old school yeah, tournament exactly. style. So always, I mean, I've never actually done it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I I but uh, a friend either. of mine got, a close friend of mine, our bassist in our band, got uh, into it, heavily into it. Oh, and cool. now he's got an incredibly successful gym and uh, oh, he's, wow. he's, he's a black belt way over and he's yeah. been doing it for 16 years. His name's so Matthew he could Pasquale. train you if you have the time. Oh yeah, he could train me for yeah. sure. He's, he's, he's a jiu-jitsu black belt now. I'd love and to try a class in that. I'd yeah, I'm sure. Really I would it. tap out so fast. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's so no funny because intended. I went through and I made this whole movie. <laughs> And at, at no point in time did I, did I, I say, like, you know what, I'm going to get in the yeah, ring no, and try to... Just try one yeah. class? Wasn't for you. No. Nope, not doing no. it. So this is out of film school. Like I was going through your film, your, your bio and your filmography and you go, you, you're in film school. But like that opportunity just sort of... Like, yeah. Because um, you, you were young. up to that opportunity? Yeah, so I was like, 20. How did that one three. come along? Three when I directed my first movie, which right. is, you know, very lucky. I'm super grateful. Um, but I, I would... I, Look, I would attribute it partially to my my work ethic and my sort of no nonsense, just hustle, hustle. But also, you know, luck plays into it. But um, prior to that, you're doing what type of work? Like out of so out when of you're school. listen, I was in school, so I wasn't working. I mean, right. in the summer, I'd go to like a temp placement agency just to make some, uh, you know, some money, make a couple bucks, and be able to like go on a trip with my friends to Cuba, which at the time was like the place to go. Yeah, seven hundred bucks, five days, all in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, God. <laughs> Ugh, don't miss those days. No. But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I was in my third year of university at York mm-hmm. where I got rejected from the film program, funny enough, and I was forced into film history and theory. So the production, uh, the production, uh, I guess, organization there, they oh, just wow. didn't, they they didn't really, want me. They didn't want they me. really know how to pick I'm sure yeah, they do now. They didn't want me. Yeah, they asked for a donation here and there. Um, <laughs> I might send something. We'll see. Uh, but... Um, yeah, I was just making short films. I was just trying to experiment, figure it out, write on spec, figure out the best way to sort of understand what do audiences want, uh, get an understanding for the business. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people wake up, they look at their stocks. I wake up, I look at the trades, yeah. look at what's happening in the world, what scripts are selling, what actors are doing what, what kind of material they want to do, who do they want to work with. Um, so just sort of building this sort of encyclopedic knowledge in my mind. For sure. Because um, it's an unwritten business in a way. It's a bit of vaporware trying to figure out the yeah, there's no one path. There's right. no one right way to do it. I know people who started as assistants. I know people yeah. who started as gaffers or cinematographers. You know, I was very fortunate in that I didn't have to start with anything. 
I sort of went out to Los Angeles. I met some people. I opened my mouth. It took me far enough. I was like, <laughs> fake it till you make it. Okay, great. Um, and then I was making movies at that point and just sort of learning from there and sort of yeah. working my way up. Yeah. But I also gave Fantastic. up a lot to do that because, you know, I went to a private Jewish school, which is already really demanding throughout mm-hmm. the year. And then you finish exams and I would get on the flight the next day and I'd go to Los Angeles. I go to film school all summer. Oh, my friends wow. went to birthright. My friends backpacked right. Europe. My friends had all these sort of like worldly experiences. And I said, no, I'm just going to go and bust my ass and I'll take those vacations later in life. Later. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that was through high school. Yeah. So I started film school in high school. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're in high years. school here for the whole year. Yeah. So I and went to chat. And head down. Okay. So yeah. you went to, okay. Yeah. Which is like <laughs> Which as is, Jewish as it gets. Yeah. It's also demanding too. It's, it's and there was lot, no air conditioning in the, in the, in the Richmond Hill location. Oh, wow. So you're basically sitting and like. Schwitzing. Schwitzing and sweating <laughs> like all year round, even in winter. Right. And oh, then I it's had done a- and you just want to like. Take a break, relax. Oh, nope, yeah. I went, I it's went intense right to school. chat. It's, it's much more demanding than Metro. I went to Metro. Oh, you went to Metro. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It was far less demanding Yeah, than Metro, chat. Westmount, Thornhill, all of those places. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I would. I, I was... could have went to film school. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I could have went during the year. <laughs> Listen, I mean, uh, it's funny. You know, I got into a couple of the programs at uh, Queens, Western, U of T, Ryerson. Um, I can't remember why I chose York, to be honest. I think because... I had heard that their program was the most competitive. I think like each year only like 50 students move on or something mm-hmm. like that. Not that it mattered because they rejected me at the outset. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, whatever. So I, I didn't even go. Like I stopped going to class and I just started going out and making my own short films. And I graduated. I got my degree. I made my parents really happy. Yeah, you still graduated. And of course, when I used to tell this story, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, is like, don't go around boasting that you didn't go to school. You sound like a loser. You sound yeah. like a bum. I was like, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the grind of sort of finding yeah. it a way too. Yeah. yeah. But um, if you're if you're passionate enough and you and you're prepared to actually create things and show them to people, it's a hell of an edge over people who are passionate and not prepared to create anything and not prepared to well, share yeah, anything. You just gotta get in and do so the work. Much school can teach you in any profession or industry. Yeah. I mean, you have to really go to like real boot camp, mm-hmm. be on a movie set to understand how it functions. You know, right. what I mean, it's just there's nothing like it. Like if you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a resident, whatever it is. You have to be in the hospital. You have to yeah. see how it goes. Sitting in a, in a lecture hall, being told what to do is not – I mean, there's certain fundamentals you have to learn and understand first. Of course. Fine. But nothing's like being in the real environment. So with Bandit, with all these locations, that must have been by far the most locations you've ever – Oh, with. God, yeah. I mean, like locations, imagine the scenes, MMA page movie. count. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny, you know. In any movie, whether you have a big $50 million budget or you're making a $2 million movie, you should always understand how to be cost effective. Yeah, right. And so doubling locations up tends to be a really you know wise thing that people do. It's very common. So it's like, okay, if I look at this wall and I say this will be – you know, uh, mm. her house. This will okay. be like the the area where he stands at the window. But then when we look over here, I can shoot inserts of a scene from somewhere else in the film. Right. right. That way we don't have to leapfrog and move around a lot. So that was the key. And so when I got to Georgia, I had to really familiarize myself with the environment, the mm. world, the locations. And once we had a location, I'd have to say, how can this be used for four other things? Right. And that was the only way we can get it done. <laughs> yeah, because that's a lot to get done in 25 weeks. 20, I wish. 21, no, 21 no, days. five five weeks, yeah. 21 days. 
Or 21 yeah, days. Four not weeks, even yeah. four weeks. So you Google yeah. street viewing a hell of a lot? You must be on <laughs> Oh, my God. I remember, <laughs> I remember I drove my, my art team and my locations department nuts because there's this really vital moment at, uh, at the beginning of the film where Josh's character hops off a truck that he, he got a, hitched a ride from, and he's mm-hmm. in Ottawa. He's in Canada now. And I was like, okay, well, I don't think we're going to have Josh in Canada. And if he says he can, don't count on it because something, you know, could get mm-hmm. in the way and it may not happen. So – I found this sort of block in front of a courthouse in Valdosta, this college <laughs> town. And the courthouse had been shut down for 20 years. They were restoring it. The construction was going to start this year. So it was completely abandoned. And there were like 15 sets we built in there. Okay. Wow. So right out front, there was this building across the street by the sidewalk that literally looked like a building across from Parliament, Hall, uh, Parliament Hill. So I said to everybody, look, we're going to shoot Josh pulling up here. And then I'm going to go to Ottawa and shoot the reverse looking at Parliament Hill. Mm-hmm. But the building is so similar that I think everyone's going to think Josh is actually in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Right? I did. Good. This is <laughs> yeah, great. you wouldn't. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be one person who's going to be like, that's not Ottawa. Right. Yeah. That bastard. Yeah. They will uh, now. <laughs> but um, I, I drove my team nuts with, with Google Map, you know, references and Street View references. <laughs> and then finally when I went and got the shot, a couple months later in Ottawa, I was like, look, guys, look, I did it. I did it. But it was a lot of that. It was a lot of like, I need this wall. I need this sort of like entryway to a building because it looks like Ottawa. And then they'd be like, well, why doesn't that building look like Ottawa or Vancouver? And I'm like, you've never been to Canada. You don't understand. Yeah, yeah, I bet. You just yeah. don't understand. You just don't get it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can imagine that. And then on, so you'll shoot that day worth of scenes. And what is everything sitting on a hard drive? And you must be like clamoring to get at that. Yeah, well, so usually you'll have uh, camera cards, and then the cards get dumped onto a drrive, and then the drive gets cloned like three times. Yeah, no, I know. And that's supposed to happen at the end of every day. But we were shooting so much footage. Um, I was told that the production had to buy. Uh, so many more hard drives than they were accustomed to because of the sheer volume I and bet. the speed at which we were moving. And are they shooting in 4K? We shot in 6K. Yeah, you're, so you're shooting in 6K. So you're going through drives like crazy. Oh. You're going through Because I know it only from here. Like, and this is like six cameras pumping out all the time. Yeah, so we shot 50-something terabytes worth yeah. of footage. And I think <laughs> yeah, the, the I production company that wow. we were working with in the States said they were averaging about 25 to 26 terabytes of film. Wow. We were more than, we were like pretty much double. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's, and then when you, um, when you're sitting there editing it, like I saw on, on Instagram, you're editing it, um, basically you're Worked there. with an editor, yeah. Yeah, worked with an editor. And you're looking at all that content. You've got, I mean, for each scene that you're choosing, you've got all sorts of, like it's like, and it's, it's really bad because I'm a neurotic and, perfectionist who loves options. And so we'd find ourselves in situations where we would just have, I mean, I can't even tell you the amount of times that we had a scene or just a moment in a scene where I had three versions of it. And I said, I really love this because look at the way Josh does that thing with his eyes or look yeah. at the way he, 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 the inflection point or his intonation. Yeah. It was so overwhelming because we had so much to choose from. And the crazy thing again, it was like the first cut of the movie was three hours long. Okay. And so trying to figure out what to excise from that was really stressful in and of itself. On top of the fact that I already was like, I got so many options to choose from with the scene <laughs> for, for that each are of the make it. moment yeah. in each hour. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Does yeah. any of that, um, you know, deleted scenes ever get used? Could it 
You know, like, you know, when you used to get a DVD and then you'd have deleted scenes yeah, and you watch I mean, like a DVD. Physical you know? media is different now. You know? um, I just found out I'm not even doing a director's commentary because most of uh, the transactional buys are going to be on like iTunes or Amazon right. or Hulu yeah. or whatever. So um, I, I think what I'll probably do is end up releasing some of them on like my YouTube channel. I yeah. built this huge following because of the Uncharted thing I did. So I have, like, cool. I keep forgetting, I have like 30,000 followers on YouTube that cool. I don't do anything with. I'm like, I should post <laughs> that's more a, that's or a great something. thing to do. It. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I'm going to probably release because there's, there's some really wonderful actors in the film who didn't make it into the final cut. You always hear about, I think it was even, um, there was a famous actress that didn't make it into Spider Man, The Amazing Spider Man 2. I forget who it was, but, um, you know, it was like, okay, what are you supposed to do when that person is constantly messaging you saying, I can't wait to see the movie? I can't. And you go, oh, no, they're not. Yes. Oh, my God, that happened to me. What are you supposed to say? (laughs) That happened to you? No, I was in a film with um, Richard Dreyfuss called um, Astronaut. Okay. um, And they actually (laughs) picked me out to be a contestant. It was like you could win a, um, in the movie, Richard Dreyfuss is a contestant to win a trip to space. So they actually asked me because, like, knew me from Instagram. And they're like, you know what? Let's get Casey Stewart to be in this film. So, like, I had a couple days on set. It was at Much Music and MTV where I used to work. So I was like. I'm here filming a movie. I'm so cool. Um, <laughs> Back to your stomping grounds. Yeah, and then I was like, yeah, you like, shared it with know. people. You told yeah, and people. I was like, I'm in this movie. It's on iTunes. Yeah, it's on. No, no big deal. You're gonna see me in it. You know, you're gonna. I've been like guaranteed. One, I've been like one or two scenes, and like the close-ups of me on the show, like as the contestant, not even in there. Oh no! I felt like such a loser. Yeah, listen, it, it, share it. It, it happens because they. Well, I think they they knew I would promote it. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. they, and then cut you. <laughs> yeah, but please promote I got a it anyway. You, I got a bait and switch on that. They cut me oh, and they. No. I, I told everyone and like. It's an awkward thing though as a director. I bet. Right? Because, <laughs> and, and, and the funny thing is that, you know, it's not up to me. Well, look, obviously no movie should be two and a half, three hours long. Mm-hmm. Like if it doesn't have to be. I'm mm-hmm. not Tarantino, so I shouldn't strive for that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, ultimately the scenes that make it in or don't make it in, I have to have a pretty like, I have to weigh in on that. Yeah. So I remember on my first film, Tapped, there was this lovely actress. And um, after I told her that she wouldn't make it in the movie, I saw her walking. I was on a patio and she walked right oh. by me on the street. You're I late. was like, hi. Yeah. <laughs> and she was very friendly, thank yeah. God. But I haven't had to do that since. Mm-hmm. Like, I haven't had. And, and, and in this case, <laughs> there's three or four actors that don't even have a single moment in the film because we had to cut right. sections oh. out. My heart goes out to them. And, I, you know, they're being invited to the premiere in L.A. Yeah. And so Craig and I were kind of like, we should say something. But what do we say? But you like, can say you'll be on my YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You'll yeah. make it on my YouTube channel. Here's my YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. No, there's, there's a lot that didn't make it. And, and you know, we had this actress from um, – did you see the Jason Bateman show, The Outsider? The Stephen King show? Oh, yeah. I've watched that. I totally. Haven't. Yeah. Because so, it's like – yeah, you you not a show and you and Talia would watch. It's, okay. Uh, One of the supporting um, actresses is Claire Bronson in that film. Uh, she was terrific. Uh, sorry, in the show. She was terrific in the show. Uh, plays Josh's mother in the movie. Mm-hmm. There's a whole sequence in the film where um, – so originally what happened was um, he's about to do the big Vancouver. And he gets engaged. So now he's married. And he's like – something doesn't feel right. I'm missing something, right? Because there's, there's these nods and moments oh, earlier wow. in the film where he talks about his family. Uh-huh. And we're not oh, really so sure if he's like lying. Big, these are scene oh, scenes. Oh, it's like a yeah. six-minute sequence. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and, and originally what happened was they get engaged. He puts the ring on her finger. She kisses him. And then it cuts to him lying in bed at night. She's asleep. She's got the ring on. He's looking at her. 
and he's tossing and he's turning and he goes downstairs, pours himself a drink. He picks up the phone. And we hear this woman answer and he's not sure what to say. He freezes up. So he pretends to be a radio host and he, he's like, you just mm-hmm. want a trip to Vancouver <laughs> and invites her to Vancouver. And then when he gets to Vancouver and he checks into the hotel with, with the dipshit guy that he's with Bishop, um, they push the elevator button and he goes, Hey, I'll be right back. He goes, what are you doing? He's like, I just got to take care of something. And we see that he actually invited her to the hotel that he's staying at. And he goes and he sits down with her and she's like, you know, the cops have been looking for you for years, you know, and they have this very strained, estranged relationship. And he shows her the ultrasound. He's going to be a dad. She's like, what do you want from me? He's like, I just want to understand why you're not in my life anymore. This is very poignant. And Josh's performance is heartbreaking in this sequence. Heartbreaking. And we spent like half a day filming it, and it didn't even make it into the film. So when you're trying to decide to cut it, what are the biggest factors and what are the biggest reasons why you would cut something well, like run that? Well, runtime is always the first So runtime's number one. Run ta- run so time. you know you've got to ditch. So at some point you something's realize gotta go. something's got to go. Which baby are you going to kill? Yeah. Right, essentially. And, 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 yeah, that's essentially yeah. it. And because so, they're all time. They're all money. They're all, you know, like, and, yeah. and, and emotion. It was tough. I mean, so the biggest things that were cut out of this movie had to do with Project Cafe and sort of the police investigation. There were a lot more sequences at the safe house and them sort of – there's this scene where it kind of goes into a little bit more detail about how much money they made off with from the jewelry heist, which is now in a voiceover. Um, mm-hmm. There's uh, the whole sequence with his his mom. Um, there was this great intro scene to Nestor Carbonell's character, Snides, which is – there's a little piece of it that made it in um, in the middle of the film during the surveillance montage where we see Nestor kicking a door and he's chasing some chasing Diamond Dave essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this awesome, awesome sequence which I – you know, it was only about two minutes long and I go back down. I'm like I could have slipped it in but because there's 600 producers on the movie and the, <laughs> the end crawl is like eight minutes long. I was like, yeah, no, that's not going to work. So there was this great intro sequence of Nestor <laughs> where he's knocking on the door. This is before we meet Mel and before we, uh, we go to the Playmate, right? And so right. it sets up why when Nestor comes to the Playmate later, there were these shots of Diamond Dave being like this because Nestor puts pressure on him and he's like, oh, I'm talking to your boy here. You know, he's going to give you up. So there's this whole, again, these little things that get lost, yeah, right? right? And so Nestor's knocking on the door and Diamond Dave comes out in a towel and he, he puts his ear to the door and he goes, I can hear you, idiot. And he's like, shit. And then his girlfriend comes out of the shower and he's like, give me my pants. And, you know, there's this whole like they're scrambling in the background and he's knocking and he's knocking. He's like, I know you're in here. And then he jumps out the window and girlfriend's like, hey, sorry, he's not here. Wrong apartment. <laughs> he's like, come on, lady. And so yeah. there's this fun encounter. So he goes, uh, unlock the door or I'm kicking it in. So she comes and she goes, how do I know like who you are? And he was like. This shiny thing is a tip-off. It's like his badge. She's like, well, that could be fake. And he's like, really? Where are you going? She's like, I'm calling the police. So she calls the police, and she's like, I have a guy here who says he's a cop. And they're like, what's his name? She's like, what's your name? And he's at the door. He's like, my name is Snides. Oh, my God, are we seriously doing this? And the guy on the other end is like, oh, shit, you better let him in. And there's this. it was this whole really fun sequence to introduce Nestor's character that had to go. Yeah. You know, because time. Yeah. So before you film these movies, you've got an idea of what they're going to look like and the vibe of the whole movie. Right. Now that this movie's in the can and done, did it did it hit, you know, did it hit the mark? Did it hit That's the like and and where does it sort of, you know, in what aspects does it deviate from what you were imagining? It's funny, you know, a lot of it ended up being very close to what was in my mind, which is not something that happens often. And in, in, in my feature experience, it doesn't always happen. Um, 
I I think that in terms of the style and the tone, sort of mixing the humor and the heart, that kind of I nailed that the way I wanted to mm-hmm. nail that. And the bullseye was very small to hit that because mm-hmm. there's sort of a balance that you have to strike when it comes to these things, right? You don't want something to be slapstick and goofy. You don't right. want it to be like super like emotional to the point that it's laughable. So it's a very, very tough balance to strike. Absolutely. Um, and I it would, sounds like Josh Jumel sort of uh, in, in, interpreted that correctly. He did. And, and, and a lot and, of that was and, his instinct. Yes, and that's was, phenomenal. That was all him. Yeah, that that's phenomenal. And there would be times where he wanted to improv and do something different, and I'd be like, and so we basically said, okay, one for you, one for me. And then <laughs> in the edit, we'll figure out who, and I would say most of the time we used his. Yeah, that's, that's great. great. I was, you know, he, um, his character, when he goes in to, to rob the very first bank, he's sort of uh, scoping out things, and he comes in with a lisp, and he's got this ridiculously short tie and when he did the lisp, I called cut, and I was like, oh, dude, you're killing me. You can't do a lisp like that. That's just so goofy. He's like, come on, let me do one more as a safety. So we did it. I said, okay, great, do mine now. I went to – I watched the dailies. I was like, fuck, yeah, that's good. We're going to yeah, use that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we're going to use that. No, I'd say the movie came out as close to what was in my mind as possible. And I know for Craig, Craig's been living with this longer than I have because yeah. he got the book rights and life rights a couple of years before I got involved. This has been a five-year journey for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been about seven or eight for him. Wow. Every time he watches it, he cries because he's just so happy. Oh, <laughs> it was, yeah, we imagine. made it. We did it. We're well, alive. Because yeah. most, most of the stories are people who would love to get a movie done and, and yeah. don't. Any movie. Don't. Yeah, anything. Any, yeah. any yeah. budget, any cast, right. any opportunity. Especially a being, Canadian story. Especially. You you know? I, remember, I remember being there. I still feel that way sometimes. Well, yeah. I'll do whatever it takes to get something made. Well, when um, Bandit comes out, where can people watch it's on so, September 23rd. Um, I know Cineplex uh, will have it in Toronto and Vancouver. So there's going to be uh, a few theaters in the city and in the suburbs. I know cool. that they've got um, like Ajax, Peterborough, Ottawa, parts of Toronto, and in Vancouver. And then um, you'll also be get it in iTunes. The usual yeah, like rent of, it. Yeah, like Shaw, like Rogers, Crave, all that stuff. You'll be able to like rent it or buy it. Yeah, the usual suspects. Yeah, great. And um, so today... We saw that you are doing a movie or are in the process of doing the movie or done a movie with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us a bit about that. was about a secret that. I had to keep for the last four months. Yeah. Wow. Well, tell us a bit about yeah. that because I was like, ah, I have a friend who's like obsessed with Nicolas Cage, so I send it to Who her isn't? Like, I mean, these yeah. days, who isn't? He, he yeah, can't true. do any wrong. Yeah, so I was in Los Angeles uh, finishing post on this. Yeah. And I remember – thinking to myself, I am so burnt out and I am so exhausted. I can't wait to spend the summer in Toronto and just chill and do absolutely <laughs> nothing. Yeah. And I got a call from a really, really good friend of mine uh, who um, we came up together. He produced Tapped. I directed it. He goes, listen, I need, I need somebody on the ground with me, just like a good creative producer to help me figure some stuff out. I'm doing this Nicolas Cage movie. Do you want to come to Vegas for the summer? And I was like, oh, wow. You know what? Yeah. Yes. All of a sudden, screw, you're not tired anymore. Screw R&R. Yeah. Let's go live in a casino for two months, which I did. And that was that was bizarre. Yeah, no. So, I mean, uh, the movie's called Sympathy with, uh, for the Devil. And, great title. Um, Actually, both Bandit and Sympathy for the Devil. Great titles. You know, I'm worried they're going to change Sympathy for the Devil. Oh, it's a mouthful. And yeah, it it's a mouthful, a... but it's a... It's it's a it's a, it's a good title. Yeah, it's um it's a like it's song it's, title. It is. I don't think we're using that song. That song's no. very expensive. Yeah, oh, we do have a fun musical number and dance sequence in the film. Uh, I don't want to say anything or spoil it, but I will just say that Nick uh, has a disco sequence in the film, and it's pretty epic. 
Um, but yeah, Joel Kinnaman's in it as well. If you if you know All Mankind and Suicide Squad, The Killing, yeah, uh, wow, they're they're phenomenal. Uh, it's, it's essentially kind of like um, if you ever saw History of Violence, mm-hmm. the yeah. movie. So it's about this guy played by Kinnaman who is on the way to the hospital. His wife's about to give birth, and he gets to the hospital. He's in the parking lot, and this guy gets in the back of his car with a gun, Nicolas Cage, and he's like, "Drive!" Oh. And he's like, "Dude, not an Uber, not a taxi. You think you got the wrong guy?" And it becomes this sort of journey in real time over the course of one night where um, a lot of secrets come to the surface and Nick thinks that Joel is this guy that he isn't and mayhem ensues. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's pretty dark. It's pretty twisted. And, and this is yeah. all filmed in Vegas? This was all filmed in Vegas. Yeah, we were actually... That must have been cool. We were going to... Gonna, speaking of Georgia, we were going to go to Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> Just a place to go. I'm meant to be in Georgia. Yeah. Um, but um, to accommodate Nick, because his, his wife uh, is about to give birth. Mm. Uh, she actually might have already. I'm not sure. Wow. But um, he wanted to be close to home, to the family. And so we made it. And listen, who doesn't want to make a movie in Vegas? Oh, yeah, sure. I can't imagine. I've been to Vegas, but being there for four months. Yeah, so uh, two, well, yeah, two, just over two, yeah, months. Um, yeah, two months. And that was too much. <laughs> like there's that whole saying where it's like four days, five days is all you need in Vegas. Yeah. 100% true. Now here's the thing. I loved the people there. We had a great time. Yeah. Um, great experiences and hospitality, like unmatched. And you lived in a hotel room. And I lived at the Palms Casino. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which was insane if you just think about it. My wife was going down because she started her day like 5 a.m. because of Eastern Standard Time. She'd yeah. She'd go down to get like her morning coffee and people would be like. Yeah. She's like, this is so she yeah. left after a week. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah, she left after a week. She's like, I'm not staying here. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, it is a city that just exudes excess mm-hmm. yeah. and just like overindulgence in every way imaginable. Yeah. So it's, like, it's a tough place to sort. It's a tough place oh. to be for a long time. Yeah, and stay the same size. I didn't gamble. I didn't gamble once though. Yeah, I'm that's proud of smart. I did yeah. not touch a card game, a slot machine, nothing in the eight weeks I was there. That's good. I'm not into gambling. Whenever I've gone there, I'm like, it's just not for me. Yeah, yeah. I've done. You know, you do a little bit of roulette. It's the story. Or you do Casey some bl- <laughs> you do some blackjack. That is a true story. I'm just not into it. Twenty dollars in the Britney Spears. Ding ding only. Oh God. Because <laughs> there's you know, a Britney I, I've Spears. Heard, I've heard in my people casino. lose more money at the strip clubs than they do the casino. I wow have probably lost more money at the strip club. Yeah, you <laughs> frequent a strip club. <laughs> okay, you probably we, have. We definitely, we definitely ventured over there to, to a couple strip clubs just to see what the hype was about. Yeah, well, you got to see. You know, you just got to see. Yeah. Got to yeah, just, just go over for a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah just the buffet. Like, the buffets are great. You just oh, want to know yeah. what it's like, you know? Oh yeah. So Nick lives in Vegas. Nick lives in Vegas. It's funny. He um he's neighbors with Polly Shore, okay. which is super random. We were on set one day, and a shot got ruined because someone drove their Mini Cooper into the shot. Oh my god! What the fuck is that? Polly Shore gets out. Everyone's like, "He's like what?" <laughs> yeah. So there's a few people that that relocated to Vegas and bought properties there. Yeah. I know that the um, the tax situation is a lot better there than yeah. uh, than California. You could get a mansion in Vegas. Yeah. I don't know well, what if it's you're like Nick, now. You don't. I mean, but, if Nick, uh, you can get anything. You, you can want. get anything you want if you're him. Um, yeah. You can get a, a massive home in Vegas yeah. compared to if you look at pricing yeah. compared to Toronto. Oh, it's oh, insane. Oh, yeah. oh god. Yeah. Ohio and Nevada, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, but no, so he, he, he's lived there for about 17 years now, he said, cool. and he's loved it ever since. And I don't know how people do the heat there. And it's yeah. not as dry as it used to be. Like when I went as a, as a kid in the summer, my, my family and I, we used to go, mm-hmm. you know, Lake Las Vegas, or we'd go to the Venetian. Um, and uh, I remember it being dry. Like, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. it's hot, but it's dry. It was yeah. very muggy. 
this oh, summer. And we also got hit by a bunch of monsoons. Um, I didn't know that it was like monsoon season. I didn't know there was a monsoon season in, in Vegas. Vegas. No, I didn't know and that. you start to remember that the desert, like a climate in the desert is very, very intense. It can change on a dime. The nights can be freezing, you know, in the winter. Days are really hot in the summer. And so we got rained out so many times. Like one of our sets flooded. Oh, no. And because... Wow. Because you are using, like, generators and stuff to power things, if you even see a streak of lightning in the sky within, I think it's, like, four miles, you're shut down. You can't turn it on. You can't use power. Nothing. And uh, I think it was one Thursday we were there. I don't know if you guys saw the news this summer, but, like, Caesars had a flood. Yes. Hollywood had leaks. Like, water coming out of the gambling screens, like, at the sports betting center. That's crazy. And uh, they said that that Thursday there was more rainfall in that one day than any normal annual year fall record they've had in the city. Yeah. So with a devil with devil a shoot, yeah. <laughs> with a shoot like Bandit where you pull off a very difficult mission. I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever uh, I, I, I don't know how many movies get routinely made in 5 weeks, let alone that many locations, yeah. let alone with the logistics of dealing with a new city last minute basically. Um I'd have a lot of confidence in you that you could pull off anything. <laughs> anything? Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. My mother, my mother thinks so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I think uh, it's a hell of a testament to, to yeah. what you do and how well you can do it. No, it's. Uh, I never want to do it again. Mm-hmm. So just anyone who's listening, yeah. don't hire me to do that. Um, no, it, it, it's trial by fire. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. uh, it, it, you. You learn something new about yourself. Yeah. And, and the process, you know. Yeah. Well, it's a. Honor to have you, oh, Podcaster Creators. Yeah, thanks and, so much. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. And I'm so excited for the 23rd to see uh, people's reaction to the movie. I think they're going to absolutely. I hope love they like it. it. I hope they love enjoy it. it. Yeah. And uh, just a real pleasure. Thank you. Alan. Oh, thanks for having me. Guys. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this episode with Alan Unger. Bandit comes out on September 23rd, and you can watch it in select theaters across Canada or rent it on your favorite streaming service. You can follow Alan on Instagram at Alan underscore Unger. That's U-N-G-A-R. Or check out his YouTube channel. Find more episodes of our podcast at castofcreators.com. Subscribe on YouTube or listen on your favorite podcast platform.